0: The fabulous 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, homegrown in Hatfield, Massachusetts, and providing energy savings for their customers for over 10 years. Learn more at northeast-solar.com.
1: Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. And I'm Khalees Smith. Would you rather wear a fancy black Italian leather coat or a black Italian leather fancy coat? The answer lies in the royal order of adjectives. And we'll explore the reasons why with word nerd Emily Brewster
2: later this hour. And as a nation, we had a whole slew of decisions handed down to us by the Supreme Court last week. Law professor at Western New England University Jennifer Taub joins us to parse out the real import. Of those rulings.
1: And if you've got a question about those rulings or about the process in general, send us a text at 800 639 9120 or email thefab413 at nepm.org. But first, Nothing, there is no space in the one freezer for all three of our stuff. was like, no, we're going to get a chest freezer.
3: Well, hello? hello? Hello. Is this Mike? Ah, uh, this is Joe.
1: Oh, hi,
2: Joe. We're looking for Mike. Oh, uh, who's this? This is uh we're calling from Rock One O Two. He's won a major contest. No I'm calling we're calling from a different radio station. We're calling from New England Public Media to do an interview.
3: Oh yeah, he told no, he told me you were calling. Oh good. Did you he must have just gave you my number.
2: Yeah, he just gave us this number. Are we prank calling you? Because guess what? This is Rock One O Two and you want a major contest. No, I'm just kidding.
1: <laughs> Still kidding. All right, about send it. me a send- Send me a million dollars, yeah, Jeff. I'll come pick it up today. <laughs> In small bills. Yeah. Small, unmarked
3: bills. <laughs> I prefer 20s and 50s. None of those $100 bills.
2: Uh, is Mike there?
3: No, he's on the road. That's why he had you call me to, to do the interview. What do you do, an interview for oh, a CESA or something? Yeah,
2: so he has really handed the interview off to you. We're not even talking to yes. him. He, <laughs> yeah. So you, yeah,
3: are, he you got- are
2: you are the winner. <laughs> so what's your, your name then? <laughs>
1: I'm Joe
2: Calibri. Are you like brothers?
1: Yeah, he's my younger brother, Mike. Oh, oh older brother. Oh. This is older brother behavior. Younger brother handed this off to older brother. I know this story. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, get, I get stuck with all, all the good deals,
2: huh?
0: <laughs> I just wouldn't even answer the phone if I was you from now on.
3: It was a mistake. I thought someone else was calling.
0: Oh, oh my goodness. Goodness. <laughs> Sorry
1: to disappoint you. Yeah, oldest oldest children. We Either you're the absolute worst or you're picking up the slack for the rest of them. Uh, I end up picking up the slack. Look, the that's guys. me too. Well,
2: it's a busy season for farmers, and I guess that's how we're just going to have to roll with it. Now that corn is rolling in, it's time for our Local Hero Spotlight with Phil Corman from CESA, the Local Hero folks, and not Mike Calabrese, who we thought we were going to talk to, but Joe Calabrese.
1: This is exactly when you say like it's corn season, I need you to cut in that clip from Parks and Rec where they go, it's the best time of the year. The best day of the year.
2: Totally. And is that what you're dealing with mostly right now, Joe?
1: Well, it's the busiest time of the year for me, not the best time. (laughs) 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 What
2: what are you busy with there at Calabrese Farm in Southwick?
3: 90% of our crops are coming in now. We're picking sweet corn, cabbage, summer squash, zucchini. Just started with some tomatoes, cucumbers, pickles. All the summertime favorites are coming
2: in. Love it. I had my first summer squash yesterday on the 4th of July, so that was good. Yes. Phil? Good to hear.
0: So, Joe, I, I know the farm's been running now a little over 70 years. Can you give a, give us a little bit of background about how your family ended up in Southwick? Oh,
3: uh, yeah. We we uh, My grandfather, I'm third generation now. My grandfather started it back in the uh, early 50s. He was actually originally an Agwam. And then when he started to transition over into doing the produce and everything, he bought the first piece of land that we're still on today, like where our stand is and everything back in, I don't know, like 1950s, 52 or something like that.
2: Do you know that your brother, Mike Calabrese, has the same name as the drummer for the local favorite band, Lake Street Dive? Tell
3: him- well, and that is my brother. He's in the
2: band. He's not in the, He's not in oh. Lake Street Dive. Bro. He wouldn't have blown me off if he was. And you both pronounce it Calabrese, which is interesting to me, right? Not Calabrese, like I grew up eating the Italian-American pronunciation of Caprese salad as opposed to Caprese salad.
3: Oh, I've heard it. I've heard it butchered many a time.
0: <laughs>
2: but you guys all say
0: Calabrese, huh? Yeah. So, Joe, could you share a little bit about the business? Like, I know you grow tremendous amount of plants and flowers, and you have greenhouses and lots of acreage, and you're the place to go in Southwick. But you also do a lot of selling wholesale, don't you?
3: Uh, yep. We uh, wholesale to a few different, like, uh, chain stores and a lot of, uh, this, like, uh, local Other farm stands in the area if they don't grow it they come right to us directly and pick it up every morning so it's still fresh on their stands too
1: that's really cool what are some of the crops where you're filling in those holes we see corn in a lot of places you see tomatoes in a lot of places but those crops that that maybe they're not growing that you are what are some of those
3: the big one is sweet corn i mean it takes uh you know a lot of input and everything to get a really good crop of sweet corn like the sweet corn we're picking now we actually plant like i try to make sure it's in by april 5th so that we're picking a few days before fourth of july and on that kind of corn we have to go out and put like extra work into it or we're covering it with like these little fabric cloth to keep the frost off and it actually warms up the ground a little bit faster than if it was just naturally with sunlight so i mean like a lot of the smaller guys it's not practical for them so throughout the season they just come and pick up uh their corn every morning from us when we get out of the field usually around 9 a.m Tomatoes is another one. I mean, a lot of people grow their tomatoes, but in the busier times of the year, they just don't have enough. So they're over here picking up, you know, an extra 10 boxes a day to get them through it. We heard a lot
2: from other farmers after that big May frost about how it was devastating to a lot of things like apples and berries. How have things like corn and tomatoes, these sort of mid to late summer crops fared, at least on your farm, Calabrese Farm in Southwick, Joe?
3: Uh, I did have some frost damage on some of the sweet corn, but we made we still had our big cloths over it, so it only damaged a little bit, like maybe 10% of it. As for orchards, we lost we actually lost all of our peach crop. That was more back in February because it got so warm, like end of January and beginning of February, the trees thought it was like springtime and the blossoms started opening up. So when we got back down into, like, the negative numbers at the end of February there, that's when we lost all of our peach crop. For the blueberry crop, it kind of hurt a little bit and knocked some of the yield down. But we're we're picking blueberries now. So we're looking pretty good on that end of it.
0: So, Joe, just for people who don't farm, how does a farm respond when you hit these patches of devastating weather for a couple of crops that are important to you?
3: There really is nothing we can do about it. I mean, it is what it is. I mean, we try to prevent as much as we can by whether it's trying to protect the crop by putting cloth over it or even irrigating like we did in the strawberries, that cold front we got, we actually moved all of our irrigation systems in there and watered the entire night all the way till about 10 AM in the morning and built up ice all over the strawberries. By doing that, it insulated them and kept them from, uh, like, freezing solid.
2: It's an incredible science that I had no idea about until this year. I thought it might just be wet. You know, they were wet enough. I didn't know that you kind of want to freeze them to keep them from freezing. It seems <laughs> like it's un- it's unbelievable. just goes to show you all, it's, all it's the— It's
1: like you build a little igloo on top I know, of the it's plant, crazy. and then yeah. it
3: works. <laughs> basically uh, if you think about it, if you were trapped in the snow and you dug a snow hut inside that snow hut it's going to be warmer and it keeps the you know like the weather off of you that way so by us building up ice on it it seals that heat that was in that plant and it keeps it going and that the key thing is to keep the water on long enough so that the ice actually naturally melts off of it in the morning so that, that way there the plant's not going to be below freezing when the ice comes off of it
2: so we're speaking with Joe Calabrese from Calabrese Farm in Southwick. We were going to be speaking on in the middle of his route to Mike Calabrese, your younger brother, who um, was going to be delivering through the Springfield area and stopping by the NEPM studios. Tell us about where you're delivering to or where your brother, who's now ditched us, is <laughs> delivering to uh, on a regular basis from your farm in Southwick.
3: Well, uh, usually six days a week we... Deliver fresh produce to Big Y Warehouse, which gets distributed to all the local Big Ys in, in the area. Actually, all the Big Ys in
1: the area. That's cool.
0: And Joe, since uh, Mike didn't show up, you you can be honest with us. What are the different roles you both have with the farm? How do you, <laughs> How do you
2: split the work? <laughs> Why do you let your little brother uh, get away with this kind of thing? <laughs>
1: <laughs> there's only so much um, you can do about little brothers and sisters <laughs> uh we both
3: have our equal parts i mean he does all the delivering and like the maintenance on the farm and everything so every morning he goes out and delivers what we've picked either that morning or the night before and delivers to all the suppliers that we have and then my role is i grow i'm the farmer end of it i do all the farming and planting and plant maintenance and making sure everything's getting picked when it needs to and brought into our packing house facility to get packed to the perfect spec to go to the, all these warehouses.
1: You produce for, for warehouses and other farms and you have a farm stand and having that in place means that you don't need something like a CSA, like you're robust enough to, to survive in that way, Correct.
3: The CSA, as in like the crop share of things, yes, yeah. We actually offer those CSAs too. Oh, you do? We have we we're cutting back on it, it was, it's too much, so we don't. Gotcha. I mean, I think we're down to like 20 or 25, mm-hmm. where I mean, it's just it takes another whole person a couple a day to get everything packed up, so we kind of cut back on that because you know we have to concentrate on our own stand where we're making sure everything's like perfect up there, and then the amount of stuff that we're packing out and shipping to all of our other chain stores and everything too.
0: And your farm stands open, if I saw it correctly, eight thirty in the morning to seven PM at night. Six days? Seven days a week? How many?
3: Seven days a week from usually we open from uh, whatever weekend Easter falls on for Easter plants. And then all the way through till we start harvesting, we're selling, you know, vegetable plants, potted, hanging baskets, any kind of flower you could imagine. Yeah,
1: it's just we have all that flowers, too.
3: Yeah, we have uh, we have probably six acres of greenhouses where we, you know, start from a seed and put it into a six pack or a hanging basket. And we sell right here at the farm stand.
2: We're speaking with Joe Calabrese from Calabrese Farm in Southwick and Phil Corman from CISA, who are the local hero folks. We know that at least two brothers, Calabrese, work on this farm. And you mentioned that your grandfather brought it over from Agawam to Southwick. What does the future for Calabrese Farm have in store? Is there uh, another generation of farmers that are eager to take over when you guys are uh, finally ready to move off to pasture, I guess? Why would you (laughs)
1: put it like that? Because they're
0: farmers. (laughs) Well, they're not going to a glue factory. Well...
1: (laughs) (laughs) we're not getting loaded
3: up on the semi to the hamburg
0: plant
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh actually my mom is still here every day my father's still here working every day and then I have a younger sister too that is more into she's like working in the retail part of it in our store with my mom every day and as for the future we're I don't plan on going anywhere anytime soon so I don't think we'd have to cross Figure that road out
0: yet? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're here to bring up uncomfortable
2: topics with you. Have you thought enough about your future Joe Calibres? Yeah.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> What's the dynamic like working with so many family members on the farm?
1: Oh, it can be touchy some days. When you know, on a, days when opinion, days when your younger when brother opinion. is out on delivery and decides to give you the interview instead of doing it himself. Yeah, I was just I was just about to step in a tractor, and he said, "Hey, I'm in the truck. You gotta you gotta do this interview."
3: I go, "I guess my plans just changed right now." <laughs> I didn't know I was gonna be insulting and put out the pasture. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. We're all
2: going out to pasture eventually, Joe.
3: That is true. I was hoping mine was on an island somewhere, though, before. Well, guess what? You
2: won an island trip from Rock 102. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah,
3: Bobby's Island. Yeah.
0: So I'm wondering, Joe, is there any kind of ritual you all do when you sort of have feel like you've finished out the end of the summer or you're now moving to six days a week in the fall or anything like that? Is there any way besides exhaustion and sleeping off the day?
3: Uh, Usually my satisfaction is when my big tractor's out in the field, killing in all the crops for the season.
0: Uh (laughs) uh But that varies.
3: I mean, that varies from season to season too. Like from September till all the way till November 1st is actual, almost like chaos because Besides the fresh produce that we're picking every day, now we are doing all your fall stuff where we're harvesting pumpkins, Mm -hmm. corn stalks, winter squashes, and, you know, all that kind of stuff there. So it actually, it almost doubles up the workload from September right up till like October 31st. And then even when that's all done, I mean, we're still packing your winter squashes like spaghetti, butternut, egg corn, delicata and stuff because we... We'll bring it all in the barn and we'll have it in storage where we can we can ship almost right up to Christmas with all that stuff. Oh, that's
1: cool.
2: Is there a favorite Calabrese family recipe with stuff that you make off of your own farm that's like a go-to favorite?
3: Uh, not necessarily. Um, right, like this time of the year, it's a lot of takeout because when you get done at the end of the day after a long day, the last thing you want to do is go home and cook. So, usually, where are we calling from
2: today? If I have to look at one more tomato.
1: <laughs> yeah. Do you trade them for produce? Like, I would trade takeout for produce. Yeah, right. If I, had a restaurant.
3: <laughs> I do supply to a couple of restaurants where I do get some
1: discounts every now and then. Nice. Oh, that's
2: good. <laughs> there we go.
0: Well, we should ask the question since corn just started being ready, I think on the th- 30th what's your favorite way of making corn joe uh,
3: i prefer to actually leave it in the husk and you know like peel it back you know pull the tap, the top off of it and then almost wrap it back up in its own husk with a little bit of water and throw it on the grill it like steams it and blackens the outside and then when you strip it back it's nice and steamed inside and ready to go Love it. Or the best way to eat is in the morning when we're picking it right off the stock. You can't get it any fresher.
2: Yeah,
0: we were hoping to
2: have some. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna call Mike and make him root this way back past the NEPM studios.
3: I think he's got. I think he's got 200 bags in the back of the truck. He might be able to spare one. Uh, <laughs> he's rubbing salt
1: in that wound. And a little pepper and butter. Yeah. <laughs>
2: It'll be delicious. Joe Calabrese from Calabrese Farm in Southwick, who've got supplies going to the Big Y. They've got their own farm stand, and if you're one of the lucky uh, few left with their uh, CSA, you can get their vegetables that way as well. And Phil Corman from CISA, the local hero folks, telling us about all of the local hero farmers throughout western Massachusetts. You can find out more about CISA at buylocalfood.org. Thanks so much, Joe.
3: Well, thank you for the opportunity to talk to you guys. Oh, no problem. (laughs) We'll now
2: call you every day. Yeah, right. (laughs) Now that we've got your number.
3: Oh, yeah. We can talk anytime. (laughs) (laughs)
2: I love the corn kids. Oh! Just a reminder that CISA is an underwriter of NEPM, but no corn exchanged hands in the uh, creation of of
1: that segment. Sadly, to our chagrin, it's okay, Mike Calabrese. Coming up, a summary of the Supreme Court decisions handed down last week with law professor Jennifer Taub. Got a question for the professor? Text us at 800-639-9120. And next, resident wordster
2: of Merriam-Webster, Emily Brewster, breaks down the hierarchy
1: of adjectives. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM.
2: Emily Brewster, resident Wordster from Greenfield. And from our dictionary in Springfield, Merriam-Webster. We have a couple of listener questions that we'll get to in the future, including uh, one from Claire, who sent an email to us and wants to know about some specific stuff that you're going to go out there and research. But our engineer, Betsy, wanted to talk about adjective order, the royal order of adjectives. It sounds like the Royal Canadian Mounted Police or something like that.
4: Yeah, I don't think there are any horses involved,
1: though.
2: Let's hope not.
4: There might be,
1: depending on what's being
4: described.
2: I guess so. Like, we could describe a horse using a royal adjective order?
4: We could. All right, you two, have you heard of this, the royal order of adjectives?
1: Yes, but I don't remember what order it is.
2: And I've definitely heard of it, and I can hear when people do it incorrectly, because we just, as people who grew up speaking English, usually do it naturally, right?
4: Yeah, adjective ordering, it's a, it's a beautiful way to show people the kind of grammar that is what linguists consider to be true grammar. It's the, it's the rules of the language that are, that are automatic to, to native speakers. We know when something sounds wrong and when it sounds right. If it's something that you have to learn in English class, it's probably more truly usage than it is grammar, right? Grammar is the system of language itself. And adjectives do have an order that they follow. It sounds weird when we mess them up. So the royal of order of adjectives, it is long. And it's its just kind of wild to think that we all, as native speakers, we, we just incorporate this in our understanding of how the language works. Are you ready for the order? I'm ready. Yes. It's long. Okay, yes. it starts with... Determiner. Determiners are those little words, they always come ahead before adjectives and the nouns they modify. So the articles, possessive demonstratives, like the, your, are, these. Okay, so we've got Determiner first. The. Yes. Mm -hmm. Quantity. Are you going to throw out a a number?
2: 69, dudes!
4: (gasps) No. The seven? Okay. Opinion comes next. How do you feel about the seven, whatever this is? Icky. The seven icky. This is like a okay. mad lib. I love Great. This. <laughs> yeah, is it, fill yeah, in it. All is. these blanks. Okay. Size comes next. Minuscule. The seven icky minuscule. Now we have to say something about the age. Like, you know, new, old. Tween. <laughs> okay. All right. The seven icky tiny tween. Next comes shape. Rotund.
1: Does this is bit? like a Mad Lib I love I know. It. This no is what we did all the playing, way onto the cape No I one love. likes playing Mad Libs with me Because I bring out the weird You wouldn't believe what I say <laughs> I would believe what you say <laughs> I already I did have one That's you. why I have, I've stepped aside
4: <laughs> Okay we so far have The seven icky tiny tween Rotund Now we need a color Marigold Alright we're going to just go to the next two Origin or material So what's it made of or where does it come from or you can do both.
1: Concrete.
4: Awesome. <laughs> and now if you want to have a qualifier, you add a qualifier like if, if you're modifying a word like dog, you could have hound dog or puppy dog or a skirt. You could have like denim skirt or checkered skirt. So what is your what is a qualifier?
1: Well, it's Clydesdale horses because we promised this would be we about, about horses. About
2: horses, yeah.
4: Oh, Clydesdale horses. Awesome. Okay. So that means that what we have are seven icky, tiny, tween, rotund, marigold, concrete Clydesdale horses.
2: Are we drinking Budweiser? Today, the Clydesdales symbolize Budweiser's dedication to quality. <laughs> they already got in trouble for changing the color of the can. Oh dear.
1: Just for a month. You can, you can have your blues back. You can have
2: your gross beer back and your <laughs> normal homophobic can. <laughs>
1: <And> <laughs> Nor,
2: it's... Normal homophobic can. Is that, wow. <laughs> is that using the proper royal order so, of because, adjectives? I think so,
1: because like, because you're talking about the size of it before you're talking about the distinctiveness of the can. Oh, I was talking about the color the of it, from.
2: because normal in this sense would have been the back to the blue, I guess. Right. And then homophobic would have been where Clydesdale is and exactly. then can. Wow. Yes. See? We oh, just, well, we... I
4: think normal is opinion. Oh, right? Yeah. Okay, so right, that, and that is one of the very early ones. Right. Yeah. Wow. All right, so I, I I feel like the the collection that we have here about these Clyde's concrete Clydesdale horses is you know so- somewhat improbable as a real phrase one might come across, but it does demonstrate the order of these. And in theory, this is something that we automatically do, but there is a competing theory about the order.
2: Well, first, Ooh. rattle off that order quickly one more time again. So- okay.
4: Determiner quantity. Opinion, size, age, shape, color, origin, material, qualifier.
2: What makes that order of adjectives royal?
4: I don't know that. I, yeah, I'm, I mean, it's, I'm, it's, I'm by nature
2: anti royalist, so I'm almost gonna root for whatever this competing <laughs> order might be here.
4: <laughs> well, well this one also has some I don't I, okay, it's it's I'm not I'm not going to judge it. I'm not going to put
5: anything
4: <laughs> on, on, on it. Um, this adjective order is from Mark Forsyth in his book The Elements of Eloquence: Ooh. How to Turn the Perfect English Phrase.
2: When did this book come out?
4: 2014.
2: Oh. So okay, so this is like really? a, a new movement to change the way that we order things?
4: No, I don't think again, in both in both cases, I really think that the order is created out of observers of the language. This is what they have identified that we typically do, but the fact is that there is variation. Spoiler alert. Okay, <laughs> Mark Forsyth's. he says, and he uses the word absolutely, which is, you know, it is what it is. Absolutely have to be in this order, he says. Opinion, size, age, shape, color, origin, material, purpose, noun. And then he says, so you can have a lovely little old rectangular green French silver whittling knife. But if you mess with that order in the slightest, you'll sound like a maniac. Mess with That's it. That's his assertion. Mess hmm. with it. Do it. Okay, you can have an old little lovely green silver French rectangular whittling knife. Silver
1: French does sound crazy. We could
2: have uh, <laughs> the concrete rotund seven icky tween tiny Clydesdale marigold horses. Also, yeah, yeah,
1: the Weird. rotund seven horses yeah. sounds like a like a stage of of the fingers
4: of death. <laughs> Now, to both of these, I want to add my colleague, Peter Sokolowski's And our colleague theory. here at
2: New England Public Media is a jazz host. Yay. That's
4: right. He's also a jazz host at NEPM. And he his theory is really, I think it is the most beautiful because it is the most elegant. That tracks for Peter. He's,
2: totally. He <laughs> yes. is. He's uber Monty. Better. He's bald, which is why we're on the same page. But he's better than me at every single thing. Wine snobbery language.
1: He's the one bald man you don't Trump get mistaken pudding. for.
2: I'm a little taller than him, that's it. That's why, probably. <laughs> okay, but what's his eloqu- eloquent... See, he would have done it perfectly. What is his <laughs> eloquent way of, of, of ordering adjectives?
4: He says that descriptions, these adjectives, go from the least noun to the most noun-y. I love it.
1: That makes sense. So you have, like,
4: a new black leather wallet. So new is... You know, we don't have a new right mm-hmm. here's gary ganu <coughs> black color colors are always a little bit more like nouns because they have noun function also
2: especially and orange because you can you know can literally eat an orange
4: right well and the color came after the fruit okay um and then i mean not in in the world i just mean the word and then leather comes next and leather being the material that it's made of is even more nouny and then wallet is the the actual noun that's being modified. So that's that's his theory. And I also appreciate that he says that this is how this is how adjectives tend to go because there you know, I mean it's english for crying out loud. There are no absolutes. There's always something that's going to spring up and be unaccounted for variation,
1: constant shifting like the tides of the ocean. Yeah.
2: Is there a famous long list that shines a light on this either royal word order or this loosely changed version that Mark Forsyth has, has laid out there or Peter Sokolowski's Less Nowny to More Nouni, that 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 is famous and long the only one that keeps coming back to me is little red corvette, I see red corvette. but that's not long enough
4: no i'm trying it's to think not. of one that
2: has like a million different descriptors that we all knew one eyed one horned right. flying, flying purple, purple people, people eater, eater is
1: what i was thinking about yeah. Sure
2: looks strange to me <laughs> they're all going <laughs> to keep going back to uh, things that are purple or love purple and uh, Also, uh, songs, yeah.
4: You know, I have found some songs that challenge itsy bitsy teeny weeny yellow polka dot bikini. Yeah, one, two, three, four. Tell the people what she wore. But why is it all songs? Because you see, bitsy teeny weeny that's just size, 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 and then color, and then polka dots. That actually follows the yeah,
2: Yeah, it's it's almost color, color, I guess, yeah.
4: But you think about the song Long Strange Trip. What a long strange trip it's oh, been God. by your favorite band. I try Bands, not
2: you know. to I'll think take about take that song. Our favorite that, band. Um, yeah, police loves them too.
4: That favorite. actually challenges the order. The size, the length of the trip comes before opinion.
2: Mm. Oh my God, I can't wait to start going around to Deadheads and singing What a strange long trip it's been. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> what a strange long trip
2: The way I used to annoy Deadheads (laughs) was to say, touch of gray. Greatest Grateful Dead song, no argument.
1: And they're like, what do you you mean? And
2: I'm like, no, there's no argument. It is uh, indisputably the greatest Grateful Dead song. That, if you want to make Grateful Dead fans angry, especially do that on the radio.
4: Strangely enough, that's not my aim here. (laughs) Okay, Bob Dylan, Don't Think Twice, walking down that long, lonesome road. Babe, I'm walking down that long, lonesome road, babe. He's got the size before the opinion. Again, it's a long and then the road is, l- is lonesome. So that's two cases where the size comes before opinion, which I feel like is pretty compelling. You've got Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven and the silken, sad, uncertain rustling of each purple curtain. In that one, he's got silken, the material before the opinion, being uncertain or sad, I guess Mm. those are both, yeah. And then um, the Grinch, you're a bad banana with the greasy black peel. I wouldn't touch you with a 39 and a half foot pole. So the material being greasy comes before the color.
2: Wow. So I guess that yeah. we can break this royal order whenever we do a song, it seems like, and that we only really use them frequently in songs is what I've kind of
1: but I think it comes down to meter more than the sound of it, because you want the line to fit in Exi- what you can sing rather than worrying about the word order. Totally. Everybody makes That's the a- leap.
4: Yeah. Well, right. There right. Poetic license allows all kinds of things. I think also though when we're trying to think of um long phrases that lots of people know, we turn to music because mm-hmm. that's those are the ones we all we all know. You know, I didn't look at like um you know, the declaration of independence or something like I know that. And I'm just right now going too.
2: through the preamble to the constitution in my head to see if there's anything that uh no. I, don't
1: I don't think that, that there's any place where there's a long enough string of adjectives to yeah. make us look at it right. and see if it's in the right order.
2: The preamble is like one big run-on sentence, but that's a different grammatical I, it's, issue. It,
1: it's not like. It is <laughs> it's a lot of commas. It's a paragraph. Yeah. Right.
4: Yeah. There's, a, there's a really great blog called um, Language Log, and it's uh, it's contributed to by a number of, of linguists, and it's a great place to go if you want to um, think about Really interesting language matters that are very technical. But someone there pointed out that we can say big, beautiful, or beautiful, big. Either way, that's like very common that those two can be swapped around. That suggests that there is. Even in smaller phrasing, that there is, there is some flexibility, at least with certain words. Maybe it matters that they both begin with B. Maybe it matters that one is a long word and one is a short word. I don't know, but I don't. I, I think we can we can say with some some certainty that none of these orders, except maybe maybe Peter's, are absolute mm. because English allows for great flexibility.
2: Less nouny to nowny. Thank you, NEPM and the Merriam-Webster's Peter Saukolowski.
1: And also, hey, get into poetry. It'll allow you to break all sorts of rules. And also, hey, thanks to
2: our engineer, Betsy Langto, for suggesting we talk about Royal Word Order. And we'll have other listener suggestions of things we're talking about on this Word Nerd segment coming up in subsequent weeks. And I'm looking at you, Claire Mono, for who has sent a, a request to the Word Nerd. You can send us all of your Word Nerdery uh, queries and requests at the fab 413 at NEPM.org. Or you can text them. one 800 639
1: 9120
2: Thank you, Emily Brewster, Resident Wordster from Merriam Webster, our Fair Dictionary in Springfield.
1: Thank you for having me. Thank you for having such awesome tights at the Green River Festival. Yes.
2: <laughs> you had some uh, you had some fabulous black flowery mesh tights. Did I do They're that? Right? They were blue. They were blue. Oh, I thought they were black.
0: They were blue. It was a one eyed, one horn flying purple people leader.
1: One- Up next, getting to the root of the rulings handed down last week by the Supreme Court. Law
2: professor and author Jennifer Taub joins us. Got a question on the decisions? You can text us at 800 639 9120 or email thefab413 at nepm.org.
1: You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM.
2: Welcome back to The Fabulous 413. Jennifer Taub is a legal scholar and advocate whose writing focuses on follow the money matters, promoting transparency and opposing corruption. She's the author of the book Big Dirty Money and has testified as a banking law expert before Congress and has also been on MSNBC
1: and CNN. Professor Taub is a graduate of Yale and Harvard Law School and teaches law at the Western New England University School of Law. Thanks for joining us today.
5: Thanks for having me. Can I add one more thing that I do? Yes. Please do. <clears throat> I have a podcast called Booked Up, and you can find it at Apple or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and it drops every Sunday morning with really fun interviews with authors of nonfiction books.
1: Sweet. Are
2: they all legal books?
5: No. Not at all.
2: Oh, really? So t- before we launch into the uh, stuff about the Supreme Court, what's the most recent one you, uh, you've been talking about? Don't remember. The most okay. recent
5: one, well, well <laughs> this... The one I'm the person I'm interviewing tomorrow is Kathy Griffin, oh. the two-time uh, Emmy Award-winning and one-time Grammy Award-winning comic, who also apparently is in the Guinness Book of World Records, given the number of stand-up comedic performances she's done.
2: Wow, that's, that's great! Awesome or something. So it's like a memoir, yeah. or
5: yeah, it's a it's a memoir. But I really use it's a it's something she wrote a while ago. Like it doesn't have to be a new book or even a bestseller. I just if it's an interesting new book that's a hot new book i might interview someone or if it's just someone i want to interview for example maggie smith the poet who wrote i don't know if you you know her book mm-hmm. uh, or her poem good bones it sort of circulated around and she wrote a memoir about her life called you could make this place beautiful and she was on a few weeks ago you know but i do have legal people like dahlia lithwick uh and her book lady justice so it just depends what i'm in the mood for
2: booked up that's the name of it right great (laughs) wherever podcasts are available so gentile last week especially the latter part of last week uh we were as the united states of american citizenry uh dumped upon dunked upon maybe even depending on your political opinion by by the supreme court with a bunch of decisions heading into what amounts to a long weekend now they have to do this before the end of the month of June, right? Am I correct about that? That these decisions must all be handed out before the end of the month, or is that is that why they happen at this in this season traditionally?
5: Well, they like to have a summer vacation. Ah. There's no legislation or rule that requires this. They don't actually go into an official recess, but um, you know they like to be done with their season. So yeah, they could drag it out as long as they want. But you know they have yachts to travel on and. Yes, you know summer suntans to develop and influence peddling some of them you know so they're busy they're busy Monty. <laughs>
2: At the beginning part of last week we had heard about the ind- uh, independent state legislature theory um, which I think for more progressively minded people viewed that as a small victory with six to three um, decision with Roberts joining the the more I guess progressive members of, of the Supreme Court what's your takeaway about that particular ruling?
5: I am happy about that decision. I know there are some people who haven't really taken the win and you can get really nuanced about it and, and see some downsides, but why don't I start where, where I think it, the upside. Uh, what uh, North Carolina had been trying to do would have, if accepted by our Supreme Court, made a mockery of the constitution. They were trying to argue that the constitution elected electors clause was election clause, I'm sorry, was saying that the state legislature on its own could kind of do anything it wanted in terms of the time, place, and manner of federal elections. even if what they did violated their own constitution, um that it was going to be absolutely fine. and the the Supreme Court said, nah, that's not what it means. There's no so so-called independent state legislature. Your state legislature doesn't get a carve out from the laws inside of which it exists. so in this instance the the problem was gerrymandering of the different districts right and there's two types of gerrymandering folks know there's sort of the um, political gerrymandering where the party in power and the legislature and the governor's office looks at you know looks at the state and says, hey we're a kind of 50/50 state which was the case in North Carolina we're like half Democrats, half Republicans. But since, we're, since we Republicans are in charge, why don't we like draw the lines around the people so that we can get um, as many districts that seem predominantly red, Republicans, so that we can get more people in Congress and so on. And, the, and, the, and that's what they were trying to do. Um, the other kind of gerrymandering is racial gerrymandering, where you do a similar type of thing to disenfranchise minority voters and so on. So you know, to get rid of all the procedural stuff, because we could get too much into the weeds. Mm -hmm. What's What had happened here is the state legislature tried to do just that, tried to make it to try to like put their finger on the scale to get more of their congressional representatives, members of Congress to be Republicans based on where they drew the lines. And the North Carolina Supreme Court said, no way we in, in North Carolina don't allow Political gerrymandering, even if the federal constitution might allow it, we don't. And so, long and short of it, is the U.S. Supreme Court said, No, uh, North Carolina legislature, you're bound by you know, bound by what the laws are in your state, including your state's constitution. Now, um, I think it's a good result. There are some folks who the downside of it and people who I really respect and they're they're not wrong. I mean, the downside of this was that the Supreme Court decided to hear the case when they might not have had to. And let me explain that. And um, you may have already talked about this. Um, Before the Supreme Court actually decided the case um, or decided to hear the case, North Carolina, um, kind of had a change of heart because they didn't want to be told what to do. So they kind of changed the law um, or, or, or it was either they changed the law or the, they did something so that the case kind of appeared to be moot, that it appeared to be not really a case or controversy. But the U.S. Supreme Court still decided the case and made clear that this independent state legislature doctrine does not exist. So even though I'm happy, you know, and you're maybe you're happy and you mentioned other progressives, really smart people like Steve Vladek, um, who I also had on my podcast, who wrote the Shadow Docket book, um, Rick Hasten. It's called Booked and, Up uh, with Jen Tom, wherever yeah. podcasts are available. And uh, that's Booked Up with Jen yeah. Uh Anyhow, but uh, and also Steve, uh, Steve, I'm sorry, Richard Haysen, who's an ele- electional expert. They're like, hold on a second. This is, you know, Roberts looks like he's doing the right thing, but he's laying the groundwork because they took this case when they didn't really need to because everything was sort of hunky-dory after things have been kind of reversed, um, that now it's gonna be more federal power over um, the election process in a way that makes us worry because of the Bush v. Gore fiasco from 2000, where the US Supreme Court essentially handed the election to George W. Bush because they forbid the vote counting to continue in Florida Um, And that was a big disaster. You two are too young to remember it, but I do. That was
1: my first election I got to actually vote in, so I remember it quite well. I
2: remember it well because I was impersonating (laughs) Al Gore as an intern at the first radio station I worked at, and the morning show host put me on the air doing it, and then that election dragged on for a month. So I got to be intern Al Gore for a month, and then was hired.
1: Yeah, so because of that. So I mean, I the election it. is why you got is basically why, why the I have start a of job. your job. Yeah, but one <laughs> of the things a lot,
5: Monty. I know. Oh yeah, thanks. <laughs> one of the but things. Anyway, so yes. Yeah.
2: One of the things about that case, though, if I remember correctly, and I have hung out with lots of lawyers, even though I'm not a lawyer myself, is didn't the Supreme Court rule that okay, the counting is stopping, but this is not a precedent. Don't ever look at this again. And now Roberts bringing this kind of federal uh, involvement in elections is, is as you're saying, maybe trying to set the template for getting the federal, uh, the, the upper echelon in the courts more involved in these federal elections?
5: You know, I'd have to go back and read Bush v. Gore. I read it when it first came out, and I was even at that time not a law professor and a corporate lawyer, and I was suspect. But I don't remember <laughs> language that explicitly said, never, ever, ever look at this again. Um, I would have to go back and see. So I, don't, I just don't know the, the the full answer to that.
2: So for people that are more progressively minded, that ruling that we just talked about there, the independent state legislature theory, was the somewhat good news of last yes. week with the courts. And then there was all sorts of other things that, uh, yeah. the that conservatives the, are thrilled with. The Tribal with.
1: Act, I think, are the, the two surprising good things that happened. Yeah, but.
2: but we're going to talk about the, uh, the other things that the Supreme Court uh, decided upon in just a little bit. We're going to take a break. More with author and lawyer, legal scholar and legal professor, podcaster, <laughs> Jen Tubb, on the other side of the break. Booked
5: up with Jen Taub. Booked Andy. up with
2: Jen Tubb. You're listening to the <laughs> Fabulous
5: 413
1: 3 on NEPM. i you and me.
2: Welcome back to The Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. And I'm Klee Smith. And we're talking with Professor Jennifer Taub, who is a lawyer, a legal scholar. A podcaster. A podcaster about the Supreme Court's decisions of last week. Uh, There were a lot of huge ones. Um, Let's talk about affirmative action and your take on Uh, that ruling. uh, Jen Taub, who teaches law at Western New England University.
5: Sorry, when you asked that question, I heard a big sort of exhaling... I don't know who that was. From Khalees. What she said. (laughs) Um, It's really... you know, I cannot entirely just look at the affirmative action decision separate and apart from the student loan case because they're a piece of the same thing. But I will do that just so we begin, which is to say this is an example just like when they overturned Roe versus Wade where the conservative majority on the Supreme Court decided for ideological reasons to throw away a long-standing precedent and also what they did to ignore the reality on the ground and the lives that we live, and the facts that exist, um, and to do incredible damage to um, the freedom of universities to decide what they want in terms of the students they want to have on campus, the educational balance, the you know the the redressing long standing and still existing racial discrimination in this country. And um, I, when I even think about the decision, I almost have like, um, what is the word? A rage aneurysm, Ah. that's the legal term.
1: Agreed, there was a large conversation amongst, at least for me, like black students from Kenyon who went when I went and all of us basically going, We would not have gone here if this weren't in place when we were able to go. And like especially – yeah, I have thoughts.
2: (laughs) Almost immediately after the decision, there were uh, suits uh, levied against Harvard saying, well, then legacy admission needs to end too. Do you anticipate that that would be an actual outcome of this or is that uh, pie in the sky thinking that – The affirmative action is going to be over, but there's nothing going to stop these institutions from allowing fifth generation white folks from continuing to go to those same
5: upper echelon
1: schools. I don't know.
5: um, I don't know if some of those lawsuits have been brought. And I don't know what the if the theory is like a a disparate impact theory. Like, I don't know what the actual legal theories are going to be. But let's again, look at what the facts are. I was shocked to find out you know, what, what these numbers look like, that basically um, if you're looking, you know, that because both legacy uh, it doesn't mean that everyone who who went to Harvard, that their kids are gonna get in, but that when you look at the students who get in um, that, you know, if you're a legacy or you're an athlete or you're a legacy and an athlete, like that your chance of getting in is so much higher, right? So the argument that people are making that, you know, Everything needs to be based on some sort of computational score that looks at how someone maybe scored on a standardized test or how their teachers in high school thought they, you know, if they were going to be good students, as if that measures intelligence, creativity, ability, or anything else, right? that although they're trying to come up, if they're trying to argue that there are some objective factors out there and those should be the only ones used, this shows you that's not how it actually works. And you know what, if that's, you know, and that doesn't surprise me at all, right? Part of what these schools are about, or at least they had been historically, is maintaining a kind of elite upper class, and I, as someone growing up in the Midwest who was sent to a private school, but my parents were not, didn't go to um, these schools out east. I went to Yale undergrad and then Harvard Law School. I will say that one of the reasons I think I had a better chance, it's not like I, it's not like I walked through the door. I worked, I can't tell you how hard of a, how hard I worked in high school and a nerd I was and suffered from, my didn't sleep at night, all this bad stuff, but I came from Michigan and they had geographic diversity. If I'd lived on Long Island or probably in Northampton, Massachusetts, who knows if I would have gotten in, right? Things like that. But the fact that I didn't play a sport, the fact that I wasn't a legacy, but I'm a white woman. So again, affirmative action also, you know, the, so all of us benefited from so from this. So, I, you know, the answer to the question is, do I? I don't know what the basis for these lawsuits are. But again, the, you know, the reality is who ends up getting admitted um, to a university has a lot to do with the mix of we need someone to sing in the musicals. We need someone who's gonna row crew, who's gonna run the, the newspaper, who's going to, you know, they're, they're thinking about building a little village of people who are gonna to participate together or be part of an intellectual, social, uh, religious, athletic, artistic community. And also let's make sure that either people with a lot of money or their families have gone here for generations continue to go because that's part of the tradition that they want to pursue. That's what these institutions are doing, and so it really does bother me uh, that these lawsuits were bought, brought, claiming that there was um, th- that the the policies um, that favor even the even the kind of affirmative action that was allowed by the Supreme Court now now isn't allowed is absolutely insane.
2: I would love to talk more about the student debt and how that ties in right there, but I think we can. If- that make a very short leap between connecting those dots about how yep. that becomes an obstacle uh, for more and more people and more disadvantaged people from any other all sorts of different spectrums. But the, another of the rulings that seemed to me to be particularly odd, and we're speaking with a legal scholar Gentile, professor at Western New England University, is the theoretical web designer who doesn't want to theoretically develop a, a wedding cake for an LGBTQ couple. Is this an unprecedented way? To be ruling in the Supreme Court on such a major issue when it comes to, say, public accommodations or, or is this public accommodations?
5: What's weird about this is you'll know that the uh, the dissenters, the three dissenters, um, Sotomayor, um, uh, 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 KBJ uh, – God, why am I – Tanji Brown-Jackson. Jackson, Sotomayor Jackson and Kagan, um, the three of them do, didn't raise the issue of standing at all, which is weird. So there are two things I have to say about this. This One, the case was dismissed. You know, She'd filed a lawsuit challenging Colorado's anti-discrimination law. The district court um, had not sided with her. Neither had the 10th Circuit. The district court said she doesn't have a claim here. This is so Hypothetical, but the Supreme Court took the case. And uh, now we come to find out that there was this fake customer. The reality is it's perfectly normal to have what's called a pre-enforcement case before a law is enforced. Um, In this case, this law has been on the books for a long time, but that shouldn't vacate the obligation to have some standing. And I think this is embarrassing. I think the court should not have taken the case. And I think it just besmirches what little was left of the uh, good reputation the Supreme Court had uh, that they did this. I think there could be actions against her uh, if because she did submit an affidavit for perjury if she was actually involved in this. But we shall see.
2: Mm, and as uh, Professor Taub indicated, before these recent decisions, the Quinnipiac pool found that only 30% of reg- registered voters approved of the Supreme Court, calling it too politicized right there. Jen Taub, who is a professor of law at Western New England University and the host of the Booked Up podcast, she's kind of our go-to legal expert. Thanks for weighing in on these things. Can't wait to have you on again soon.
5: Hopefully for happier things. Thanks. Maybe an indictment.
1: Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Tomorrow on the show, we go to the library. Specifically, my local branch of the Springfield Library System, who are doing their summer reading kickoff and cataloging high school yearbooks from the history of Springfield. We'll hear from librarian Elizabeth McKinstry.
2: Plus McGoverning with McGovern, and we'll check in on all things happening musically in Lenox with our Tanglewood correspondent, Boston Pops conductor, Keith Lockhart. Got a question for the congressman? Or the conductor, the Fab
1: 413 at nepm.org. Or text 1-800-639-9120. Our director is Tony. Is it actually a vacation if you can't leave the house done? Our engineer is Betsy. Why would you keep that edit, Lankdo? Our technical team is Bart, Fish1, Zero, Rankin, Kara. Strong feelings about Elvis Costello at Tanglewood Foster and punk Rude Boy Dubé. Thanks to Spouse,
2: Happy Valley Guitar Orchestra, Suitcase Junket, The Gregory Brothers, Lake Street Dive, The Beatles, Prince, Sheb Woolley, Brian Hyland, The Grateful Dead... Peter, Paul, and Mary, and the Supremes. Oh, you
1: had to thank the grateful (laughs) dead.